The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Seeds of Wellbeing series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, or funders, and any affiliated organizations involved in this project. Welcome to a Seeds of Wellbeing Voices from the Field podcast featuring voices of Hawaii agriculture producers for Hawaii agriculture producers. These podcasts are made possible by a grant from the University of Hawaii College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, also known as CTAR, and the Seeds of Wellbeing, or SO project, and is supported by a grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture, and the Hawaii Department of Agriculture. Well, I think the way a lot of people are, you know, show their stress or get feedback that from others that they seem stressed is when, you know, it comes out in getting short and impatient and uh, hard to get along with. You know, people will snap at their loved ones and, you know, have a, a short uh, fuse or, you know, have an irritable presentation. I think for a lot of men in particular, that that's their go to uh emotion that covers all of the other emotions of sadness or vulnerability or fear is the more you know aggressive irritable angry quick to flare mm. uh, and so that can certainly have some effect on the relationships of our agricultural workers but that i i would i think that's the feedback that you know is given often by the partners in this episode, we speak with Dr. Lou Abrams, a clinical psychologist and farmer on the island of Maui. We talk about his struggles as a farmer, but also about what he sees in his work with ag producers and their mental health, as well as way of dealing with stress. Now, let's hear more from Dr. Abrams. Well, thank you. Yes, I'm uh, glad to be invited to offer some perspective because I walk in both worlds as a clinical psychologist doing therapy and counseling with all kinds of people, including some farmers, and being a farmer myself. So I understand uh, the many demands involved with that. Oh, thank you. So you, you highlighted a bit of what I was going to ask you. Can you just share with the with our listeners your experiences? How long have you been in the ag industry and your experiences being a therapist as well? Okay, yeah, we moved to Maui in 1997 with our two young boys, five and 10 year old kids, and, and um, bought a two acre parcel in ag zoned land, you know, region that was mainly kind of uh, guavas and wild, a uh, little bit jungly in the rainy side of Haiku. And so from the beginning, uh, I got a job and was working as a psychologist at the Molokini unit at the hospital and some other family uh, therapy I was doing from other agencies as I was developing, starting a private practice. But then we wanted to build out our uh, plant out that two acre parcel with everybody has the fantasy of tropical fruit and bananas and greens and so that was a process. We actually built a, a pond also in order to have some tilapia and an aquaculture system going. And so it was a small scale uh, 
experiment with planting fruit trees and learning about permaculture design and doing some aquaculture. That was uh, until we moved 10 years later to our current 25 acre property, a little bit closer to the ocean in Haiku. And there we've developed a Himza sanctuary farm uh, and have become an organically certified farm there. And so we're working here to develop that land as well. So are you in production? You actually sell at the markets? Uh... Sometimes we do. It depends on the season. Like we're, you know, when we have a harvested turmeric, we use it in different ways. We're doing our best to make it into value-added products and working with it right on the farm. We've done some distillation of turmeric into hydrosol and essential oil. We've done some slicing and drying it, selling it uh, for medicinal ingredients to a doctor in the Bay Area. We've tried a variety of, uh, of ways. When we just harvest our uh, Brazilian dwarf apple bananas and cut them down and break them, cut them into hands and wash them and let them drip dry and then box them and bring them to the health food store to mana food. Uh, the economics of it really don't work out very well. The amount of time and energy that it takes to even just to bring it to the store barely covers the, the income that comes from, you know, per pound selling bananas. So you're, you're, you're reflecting on a bit of the stressors, the finances, and the input and the output that would make farming might be a bit stressful for some of our ag producers. And um, in your experience as a therapist, um, have you come across this as a stressor or and other stressors that you've noticed? Well, I would, yeah, I would say they're in general being overwhelmed by, by multitasking mm -hmm. and, and having to discern what makes sense to put one's energy into on, in any particular moment on any particular day, I think is a, a background stress for people in general. But certainly with farming, there's so many competing things, you know, we, whether to, you know, feed the plants or start new seeds or tackle the cane grass or, you know, you can get pulled in so many directions. And it is hard to to think about what really is going to pay off or be most important to work on today or in this moment requires some, some leadership as well. Because even if you have a few people or a team ready to help you on your farm, you have to figure out what you want them to do and guide them in that. And that in itself is kind of takes up energy communicating with the people and explaining, you know, right. how you, right. Right. So, I mean, recently I had a situation where I had some volunteers came in to help me weed an area around our turmeric. And we had recently transplanted, a, you know, a whole row of uh, Galangal ginger and, and then, you know, I wasn't really watching close enough and our volunteer weeders basically took out, pulled out the precious crop we had just planted, you know. So um, even supervising one's helpers on the farm is an art and requires uh, some skill. Yeah, so you're reflecting on the labor, right? And having good labor support um, that has come up in our survey, at least, as one of the stressors, the main stressors and access to good labor. Mm. Well, part of it in Maui with the cost of housing being so high, 
and and whatever profit margin we aspire to on the farm you know it's hard to figure out how to make the economics of the labor work as well i think that's why many farms have work traders or woofers that you know do some volunteer work in return for a place to stay and that brings with it its own you know challenges as well so thank you so i'd like to switch over to a little bit about what you've come across in terms of how does stress manifest among our ag producers in hawaii how, what have you noticed as a therapist that you you come across when somebody comes to your office and maybe they don't even say they're stressed but you see this as common signs of stress among our ag producers can you reflect on that yeah, think about that you know, when I'm just thinking about the, the group that shows up at the Hawaii Farmers Union meetings, you know, pre-COVID, we had a really thriving, and I'm sure we will retrieve it now as well, a thriving community of farmers and supporters of farming, you know, that would come to our uh, Hawaii Farmers Union United meetings in the various parts of the island, in Haiku, it was the one that I've attended, and by and large, I think that farming is a great uh, counter to the stresses of life. The people that were coming were really, you know, in love with the aina and enjoying what they were doing and glad to share, you know, the abundance of their harvest and, you know, had a sense of, you know, connectedness and, and meaning that um, I think is a buffer against the, you know, stressors and actually is a really good uh, mental health you know, uh, contributor. Uh, but again, the reality of actually trying to make a farm that be a commercial farm that's in the black, mm -hmm. it becomes more of the, you know, a financial pressure that I, you know, I know many farmers in Maui are not really able to run in the black very well. Mm -hmm. And it can be a huge a uh, sucking sound, you know, once you start to invest yourself in the land, there's so many inputs and, and uh, labor costs and machinery, like, you know, to fight the cane grass, you need functioning weed eaters that keep breaking down and the, the mowers get flat tires and the blades need, you know, trimming. There's just a lot of uh, inputs. And, so and how do you see fun. that? manifested in the the way they talk and you know the facial dispositions or mannerism well no, I think people are pretty good at you know letting you know that about their frustrations and stressors that they're they're undergoing and you know the 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 wolf at the door of you know well maybe we can make it through this month if we don't make it into the black but this sort of impending you know doom over time you got to find a way to make it work or else you have to go out of business. It's basically insane to keep doing something where you're losing money, even if your heart is in it and you love it. At some point, you know, you got to find a business model that works or it's hard to make it. The sustainable farm isn't that sustainable if the economics of it aren't also in place. So I think that's a background stress. For, you know, for farmers. And, you know, there's just unpredictabilities there, you know, that you even when you put so much energy into finding the right seeds, but of course you're preparing the soil first and, 
inoculating it with microorganisms and all the good amendments and compost and carefully tending the seed and watering it and then weeding it and feeding it other amendments and having it grow. All those steps, it's so easy along the way for, you know, to blink and, uh, you know, the, the string beans are beyond time to harvest and now they're just tough or not. Or, you know, uh, uh, the white cabbage moss will come in and chow this beautiful field of uh, kale that was looking so good yesterday. There's these unpredictable elements all the way to getting it to harvest. You know, I've had boxes of produce go bad in the back of my car as I drove around to the different you know, health food stores and markets and trying to see, you know, who wanted, you know, the, the like, for example, star fruit. It's so abundant when it's in season that it, they really, you know, the supply and demand is such that, you don't. it's very difficult to figure out what to do with it. And, so, so, Dr. So, Abram, you're still yeah. sharing a lot about the stressors. Um, yes. and I appreciate that. But I'm still trying to get you at to discuss, like, how does it look like on someone who is really stressed um, so that it could be helpful to a family member to recognize right, well, it? Okay. And then how, and what are some of the coping styles that yeah. are helpful or not helpful? Right, okay. Well, I think the way a lot of people are, you know, show their stress or get feedback that, from others that they seem stressed is when, you know, it comes out in getting short and impatient and uh, hard to get along with. You know, people will snap at their loved ones and, you know, have a, a short uh, fuse or, you know, have an irritable presentation. I think for a lot of men in particular, that that's their go-to uh, emotion that covers all of the other emotions of sadness or vulnerability or fear is the more, you know, aggressive, irritable, angry, quick to flare. Mm. Um, and so that can certainly have some effect on the relationships of our agricultural workers. But that I, I would I think that's the feedback that, you know, is given often by the partner. It's like, wow, you're. You've been really aggro and hard to get along with lately. So what would you, for that, if you're seeing sort of the irritation and the irritability, you quick to anger and, and say something unkind, what would be the antidote to that? What would you advise for someone who's struggling with right. that as a way? Yeah. Mm. Well, there's a lot of ways in. Well, I guess the first step is to break through one's denial about it and own that, yeah, I have been, hard, you know, grouchy lately. I think for, you know, the first stance for most people is to, you know, when their partners, you know, will give feedback like that would be to just dismiss it and, you know, and, and you will, you know, blame the other person for it, you know. So once you can uh, come to terms with seeing accurately in the mirror that it is an issue, that's sort of the first step. And then, yeah, the, uh, I feel like adopting a daily practice of centering, whatever that may be for the person, is probably the best preventive uh, self-care strategy. You know, to the degree that we're jumping from one thing to another, get up early, just have the endless list, go from one thing to another to another. And it's all what, you know, you have to do to reach some external goal. 
uh, that leads to some kind of cumulative stress. And so the antidote that I think most people have accessible to them is to schedule in some kind of time each day to fill their cup, to, to nurture oneself, whatever that may look like for you. For a lot of people that I know, it's dawn patrol surfing, you know, for so many people just to, you know, give themselves that break to jump in the water and, you know, be under the dome of the sky. And, you know, so many people I ask about their spirituals or any kind of spiritual belief system you have that helps you cope and, and many people love Jesus. A lot of people go to church out on the waves mm. and feel the elements and feel their strength and come back to themselves and, you know, while they're waiting for that next wave. So I think it's uh, something that we can ask ourselves is what can I do for myself that I love that is, a, is something that helps me settle down and return to my center? Uh, thank you. Yeah, so um, you reflected on something that was really important because I know many, um, and I don't want, it's not a generalization, but one of the common stereotypes is that ag producers and farmers are tough, right? It's like, I'm just going to do it no matter what. The sense of I'm just going to persist and, and continue with sort of that will. Um, and you mentioned the recognition that you re realize that you're getting short with somebody or irritable and you don't want to see that, right? You don't want to acknowledge that. So how do you motivate that ability for someone to do that self-reflection to say, wait a minute, I am stressed and maybe I need to take that moment to find my center because there's a point where that motivation to the stages of change, as we call it, right? The first stage is to recognize there's something going on, but there's also sort of the, the mind state that, you know what, I'm just going to persist. You know, I just got to keep doing it. And you don't have that time to like reflect or to step back and see, wait a minute, am I being um, unskillful in my relationships right now? So that's a big challenge, right? For many folks to be have that time for self-reflection. What are you talking about? I don't have time. <laughs> I've got chickens to feed and things other things to do. Yeah, well, so much of it comes down to tone. You know, in terms of motivating a team or getting along with one's partner. Or, so I think, you know, I, I encourage people to watch their tone and see how, you know, what kind of results it gets when you talk to someone sharply and, and kind of in a way that shames or criticizes them or puts them down or points out how they screwed up. And you can see how that registers on that person's face. And then a more cordial, warm, uh, human tone, you know, vulnerable tone, understanding tone. You can see how that lands and how that tends to be a more, you know, land on fertile ground where a person can receive the feedback. And, you know, as we were talking about working with a team and on a farm, the morale is really important. If you have, you know, if it feels unfair or, you know, if you have one complainer, they can kind of, you know, take everybody's motivation down a notch and the, and the, and the other part is the opposite is true too. If you have like a can-do person that's psyched about it and has some good energy, they can motivate everybody else to work better and enjoy it more as well. And so um, I've, that's been something that I've been, 
you know, working on is how to give feedback to someone that mm-hmm. in such a way that it motivates them to want to work harder or better or do a better job at something. Because a lot of the feedback tends to be like, oh, this needs to be done or, or you forgot to do that or, you know, you, this, you screwed up here and, and that kind of can deflate people's motivation. It's just the nature of, of being, you know, in on a farm. There's an endless list. You never get to the end of the list. Right. So it sounds like maybe, so it sounds like for everything that hasn't gotten done, you sort of highlight what has been done to yes. sort of to see the positive before you say, but, but we need, and we need to do this too, rather than, but, right? We always have this. Right. Yeah, I so think it's maybe, really important yeah. to, to pause and take heart and satisfaction that whatever piece of work you did accomplish on this day or in this morning that we all you know gang banged and attacked the you know trimming up of an area around the pond or whatever you know it's nice to have uh, a, a defined project that you can actually see your headway mm. on you know because there's so many unfinished things in farming that you you know you gotta keep going back to and so, um, so it sounds like maybe each day you sort of set your goal for small, doable, achievable goals rather than seeing like, oh, my, there's so much that needs to be done, but sort of cut it down, chunk it down and sort of let's celebrate the, these small projects that we do each day. So then we don't have to criticize and look at like all the stuff that hasn't been done. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes, I think that is important to really take pause and acknowledge and celebrate what you do. And, and I try to instill a sense of um, aesthetics and, and taking satisfaction and making it beautiful. And, you know, it's oftentimes those last little touches of look, turning and looking back and seeing like, oh, yeah, there's a rake lying there that needs to go be put back in the tool shed. And, you know, just to have that sense of, you know, observing uh, and and putting the finishing touches on something that, you know, I try to instill that uh, work ethic and satisfaction and a job well done in some of the younger people that come and, you know, have worked on our farms. Oh, very nice. Uh, I would like to ask you about some questions related to family, because, you know, relationships and in Hawaii, Ohana is very important. And Mm -hmm. sometimes as the primary ag producers, you're you're out there working. You don't have maybe not enough time that you spend with your family. And then family members can also feel vicarious stress of the primary ag or, you know, family members could also be working on the farm as well. And that could be sources of conflict of expectations. So. Any words of wisdom or from your own experiences um, working with ag producers and providing mental health supports that you could share? Uh, Well, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, in the family farm, oftentimes there's maybe one or two siblings that are into it and want to carry on the family tradition. And there may be other, you know, kids in the family that that's just not their calling. It's not their interest and it's not what they want to put their energy into. And so I think it's important to, you know, be clear about that because, you know, enlisting someone into the family farm, if it's not where their heart is, 
is going to be suffering, right? But then there's some equity, you know, how do you keep it fair? If one and one sibling is into carrying on the family business and puts in all these hours and works and the other one is off traveling or doing whatever they want, I, you know, when it comes time for the, the wealth generated to be shared, you know, that can be an issue. So, you know, something to just communicate clearly about. So, um, so that, the, what you're highlighting, it may be a common issue. Uh, not so uncommon. So how do you, how would a family navigate through that then? That sense of unfairness or you're doing everything and I'm not doing anything, you lazy bum. And I'm like, you know, so perception. Right, that actually is a dynamic that often happens when the parents get older and it's like one of the siblings that lives near the parent takes on a lot of the caregiving and taking the person to doctor's appointments. And then the other kid that might live a little further away or maybe just be less ready to step up yeah. kind of, you know, doesn't pull their weight in, at some mm -hmm. level in that, you know, thing. And so how to, how to make that more fair is an open question. I, I don't have a magic answer to that. I think each family would need to speak about it and at least put it on the table. Mm -hmm. I've seen it get worked out in, in different ways. You know, and if there's some, you know, uh, financial affluence, I've seen it kind of help. If there is one person that's shouldering more of the burden, you know, if they get paid by the hour or they get paid for their efforts, it can be, it can help, you know. Feel right. more equitable. Right. Okay. So maybe I should ask you, you know, let's say resentment might be a, a, an emotion that could be understandable if somebody's carrying more weight. How would you advise dealing with resentment then? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you, yeah. You can read my book on that topic. So, um, <laughs> how to deal with resentment. Okay. I would say that the, it's most straightforward way that's going to cut at the root of resentment is to look at our own expectations and come to some place where we can alter them and accept the situation in general and accept others as they are. I think a lot of resentment comes when we have this unmet expectation, you know, unvoiced or sometimes voiced, and we don't get what we want from that person. And I think ultimately it is very difficult to change others. And so where our empowerment lies is, 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 is adjusting our own expectations of others and having more of a magnanimous, compassionate art of accepting them as they are, you know? And oftentimes, we, even though we may perceive the behavior of others as hurtful, you know, and it does hurt, and we might want to hurt back, you know, the primitive instinct. You know, I think it is helpful to recognize that when people are doing unconscious things that hurt us, it's often a reflection of their own wounds, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's kind of like hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And so if we can have the heart of compassion and shine the light, you know, on that person and understand they're coming from how they were treated as a kid by their dad or whatever it might be. gives some insight, but I think we still need to have boundaries and, you know, uh, a certain standard with which we're willing to be treated. And, you know, we're, we're, I'm not advocating that we should become victims of abusive people. I think we have to 
you know, assert our own needs as well. And have yeah, so it sounds like you're talking a lot of what you're sharing is about a balance. Right? It's kind of dialectical and balance, right? How much to put effort, how much not to put effort, when to be soft, but yet when to be tough, right? We're constantly navigating through these sort of balances in our lives. When to rest, yeah. when not to. And we never arrive at balance. <laughs> it's not, we're, we're constantly approaching balance and adjusting, right? Like, yeah. like they say it's that, like that the jet like, that flies from New York to LA is off course, something like 85% of the time. But the, you know, the automatic pilot is always correcting and bringing it back towards, towards its goal. And so it makes yeah. it to LA. So I think, you know, we can be, we need to be patient with ourselves that, you know, at times when our life isn't in perfect balance. And when we awaken to that and we realize we're all stressed out and aggro, that's time to take a breath and go jump in the ocean or do your art or pick up your guitar or trade massages, whatever you know how to do to de-stress and come back home to your yourself, you know, then we start again. Yeah. And then, you know, that, that, uh, so it sounds like we all need to have a compass of sort when we go off track, we mm-hmm. remember to go back. Mm. Right. And so what are some of the compasses that people use to know that when you're going off track? Yeah, a lot of it is just our physical body gives us all kinds of cues, right? You know, we, we, you have a weird feeling in your stomach when some kind of interaction just felt yucky or, you know, you're feeling this, you know, shallower breathing and tension around your heart. You're aware that maybe you're a little anxious or worrying about something that might be happening to, you know, later in the day. And, and it reminds you to take a breath and ah, make a sigh and really exhale and let it go. And not, not just be breathing out of the top of our lungs in an anxious sort of hyperventilating way, but more like a sleeping baby you see they have long slow inhalations and exhalations and so you know that link between our breathing pattern and our mind and emotions is well established so if we can just remind ourselves to breathe and and uh, let, let the lower part of our lungs fill all the way and let the belly be soft when we breathe in it's not time to worry about having a six-pack you let the diaphragm pull down and fill the lower part of your lungs. And then when we breathe out, you want to let all of the spent air out so that when you naturally bring in the next breath, you've got a full lung of oxygenated air. You know, that can be an important uh, response to these physical cues that, you know, if we, if we listen to our body, it will, will tell us i mean everyone knows that sense of having a gut feeling about something right and i recommend honoring that and the times when i have overridden that kind of intuition because my rational mind explained away that fear generally hasn't worked out so good (laughs) yeah i mean you know the, the breath is really important and i can even among our listeners, maybe some of them might say, oh, that sounds so hippy dippy. Like, oh, I know how to breathe. I don't need to focus on the breath. I just need to go and continue working more harder, right? I'm just going to put my mind to it and just get at it. It's not the breath, it's the will. I got to just keep at it. Mm-hmm. 
But some of those same people will really understand the breath when they're hit by a panic attack, mm. right? I mean, it, it, it really grabs your attention. A lot of them end up in the ER thinking they're having a heart attack. Oh, so how do you, know? yeah, that's really good. So what's the difference between a panic attack and a heart attack? How would you know the difference? Oh, I mean, there's different physiological signs, but you know, with, with panic, there's this sense of not being able to catch one's breath or feeling out of control. Oftentimes there's palpitations in the chest, you know, and so these are, you know, acute anxiety sometimes uh, causes people to go to the hospital thinking they're having a trouble, trouble with their heart. And is the mind really racing really fast as you're having this panic attack? Yes, uh, Freud described that state as dread, dread, you know, where you're just thinking about all the bad things that might happen or could be happening, you know, worrying about these things that haven't quite unfolded yet. You know, it can take a toll on on the, you know, the physiology, you know, people get stress related illnesses, ulcers and things as well. Mm. And being a farmer, you don't really know what you're going to end up with. It's you actually get to harvest, you know, and then bring it to market. There's a lot of anticipation and time that you have to put in that doesn't necessarily guarantee you're going to end up with the, the hoped for return. In fact, you know, a lot of the times you don't because there's always so many intervening factors with the weather or the pests or the market trends. It's really hard to be certain. I know I think some, you know, people haven't figured out better than others where they specialize in some niche and have found their way. But, so it sounds uh, like for an ag producer, the resiliency has to be a, the, the ability to deal, to manage uncertainty provides that strong sense of resiliency then. Because you're what you're saying, there are just so many factors of uncertainty. And that it's just, but that's part of life, right? It's uncertainty is part of life, but for our producers, it's right there all the time. So it sounds like the resiliency in part comes from this ability to navigate through these uncertainty all the time and letting go of the expectations that, yeah, this year I'm going to have a great harvest and going to have lots of, like, I'll be in the black. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one place to begin with that is to just make sure that you're able to eat from your own garden and enjoy, you know, harvesting that perfect papaya and sharing it with your family at the breakfast table. And maybe, okay, you didn't get as many boxes of papaya to the market as you would like, but at least in terms of savoring the quality of life that comes from cultivating the aina using natural organic ingredients, you know that this is a healthy thing that you're putting in your body or sharing with your children. That in itself is is a satisfaction that many people never experience that are living in a, you know, an apartment in the city on the mainland, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really a, a, a special human experience to plant a seed and cultivate it and be able to go and, you know, pinch off that piece of basil and put in your mouth so fresh and, you know, it's life. The life force itself is very mm-hmm. apparent in this, you know, process of, of, you know, agriculture. So I just invite 
us are you farmers not to lose sight of those you know that simple wonder and the enjoyment of you know harvesting something from your own land so fresh and you know and then it not being something that is uh, about money it's it's something that is sort of deeper than than money thank you thank you dr abrams um, i'm gonna allow you to share a little bit about your the services that you provide um the seeds of well-being is helping uh, networking and providing resources to our ag producers. Yeah. So can you elaborate? Sure. On yeah. Well, since COVID began, I, I have shifted my practice to an online practice where I use a platform similar to this, where there's audio and visual and you can see each other. I use uh, doxy.me, D-O-X-Y.me, which is a confidential platform that works really well. You don't have to download an app even. You just go there and sign in and I find you in the virtual waiting room. And so, you know, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, which means that I've focused on, and my training was on counseling and psychotherapy and working with people and from different perspectives. And I was trained as a family therapist. So I think in terms of systems and the interactions between people, uh, as not so much as identifying the problem inside one person's head, you know, although, you know, I, I work with individuals and couples and families and sometimes parents and kids, you know, I have two, we've raised two sons that are now 28 and 33. So been through all the developmental stages with them and seen them, you know, become healthy, happy young men has been a very satisfying um, they just released their record uh, yesterday, the 2222-22. They put out an album. That they, their band is called Wolf Child. Mm -hmm. And so check that out and you'll be inspired. Um, so where, the how would folks be able to reach you? What is your uh, website? Or yeah, or yeah I, um, I have a website that's a little bit of a mouthful. It's uh, my name, Lou Abrams, with, and it's L-E-W, Lou Abrams without an H, A-B-R-A-M-S, Ph.D. Psychologist.com. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's my website. But if you want to send me an email, AbramsPhD at me.com is the simplest email to reach me. And Dr. Abrams is also on our resource hub. So you can find them under the mental health uh, resource area that we have included. So uh, thank you, Dr. Abrams, for sharing your mana'o and, and all that you do to support our ag producers in Hawaii. We would like to thank Dr. Abrams for sharing his insight as both a psychologist and a farmer. In our interviews with a white ag producer, his perspective and empathy is something that many producers have said they would like to have in a mental health provider. Please listen to some music from his son band, Wolfchild, as we hear some final words. Any last words that you would like to end with? Ah. Uh. Yeah, I just want to thank all the farmers that are doing this uh, Malama Aina work in this world. It's um, so vital and so needed and often sort of underappreciated. So I just want to honor, you know, that that simple work. You know, they say it's the farmer's shadow that's the most important ingredient in the garden. And, you know, that sense of just increment and put time in and watching observing and, you know doing our you know inputs it's such a 
honorable work. I just want to say thank you, and uh, I, I encourage you to enjoy your own work by really celebrating when you get that juicy you know, piece of fruit in your mouth to give thanks and be in gratitude for this gift of life that bubbles up through this natural living planet and we get to ingest it through this healthy food. It's a beautiful miracle that we're all participating in. Right. So with that note, I'm going to thank you. Mahalanui. I'll see you around, perhaps. Thank you. All right, stay in touch. Check out my son's band, Wolfchild, online. The intention of these podcast series is to create a safe space for respectful and inclusive dialogue with people from across a broad and diverse spectrum involved in growing and making accessible the food we share together. A diversity of voices, perspectives, and experiences can serve to deepen mutual understanding, to spark creative problem solving, and provide insight into the complexities of our agriculture system. If you, our listeners, have experiences with Hawaii agriculture ecosystem from indigenous methods, permaculture, smallholder farmers to large, including multinational agricultural industrial companies and everywhere in between, and you would like to share your story, please contact us. We welcome your voices and perspectives. Now the world's gone white. Let's go back to sleep.